0: Welcome to the Health Catalyst Incorporated Q2 2021 Earnings Conference Call. My name is John. I'll be your operator for today's call. At this time, all participants are on listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question-and-answer session. During a question-and-answer session, if you have a question, let's start with one on your touchstone phone. And now I'll turn the call over to Adam Brown.
1: Good afternoon, and welcome to Health Catalyst Earnings Conference Call for the second quarter of 2021 which ended on June 30th, 2021. My name is Adam Brown. I am the Senior Vice President of Investor Relations and Financial Planning and Analysis for Health Catalyst. And with me on the call is Dan Burton, our Chief Executive Officer, and Brian Hunt, our Chief Financial Officer. A complete disclosure of our results can be found in our press release issued today, as well as in our related Form 8K furnished to the SEC both of which are available on the Investor Relations section of our website at ir.healthcatalyst.com. As a reminder, today's call is being recorded, and a replay will be available following the conclusion of the call. During the call, we will make forward-looking statements pursuant to the safe harbor provisions of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995, regarding trends, strategies, and the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on our business and results of operations, our pipeline conversion rates, and our general anticipated performance of business. These forward-looking statements are based on management's current views and expectations as of today and should not be relied upon as representing our views as of any subsequent date. We disclaim any obligation to update any forward-looking statements or outlook. Actual results may materially differ. Please refer to the risk factors in our Form 10-Q or Q1 2021 filed with the SEC on May 7, 2021, and our Form 10-Q for the second quarter of 2021 that will be filed with the SEC. We will also refer to certain non-GAAP financial measures to provide additional information to investors. A reconciliation of these non-GAAP financial measures to their most comparable GAAP measures is provided in our press release. With that, let me turn the call over to Dan for his prepared remarks, and then Brian will subsequently provide his prepared remarks. Dan and Brian will then take questions. Dan?
2: Thank you, Adam, and thank you to everyone who has joined us this afternoon. We are excited to share our second quarter 2021 financial performance, along with additional highlights from the quarter. I will begin today's call with some commentary on our second quarter 2021 financial results by sharing that we are pleased with the company's overall financial performance. Our Q2 2021 total revenue was $59.6 million, and our adjusted EBITDA was $1.7 million with these results exceeding the midpoint of our quarterly guidance on each metric. As it relates to our adjusted EBITDA performance, we are excited to have achieved positive quarterly adjusted EBITDA for the first time since the company's incorporation. And while we anticipate being adjusted EBITDA negative in the second half of 2021, we view this achievement in the second quarter as an important milestone in demonstrating continued progress in the operating leverage of our business. Additionally, I would like to highlight that our Q2 2021 technology revenue was 35.5 million, representing 39% growth year over year. And our Q2 2021 total adjusted gross margin was 54.4%, representing an increase of approximately 530 basis points year over year. Now let me highlight some additional items from the quarter you will recall from our previous earnings calls that we measure our company's performance in the three strategic objective categories of improvement, growth, and scale, and we'll discuss our quarterly results with you in each of these categories. The first category, improvement, is focused on evaluating our ability to enable our customers to realize massive, measurable improvements while also maintaining industry-leading customer and team member satisfaction and engagement. First, let me share a few examples of customer improvements from recently published case studies. The first two improvement vignettes highlight our work with our customers supporting their population health and care management needs, while the last vignette highlights the synergies of our technology offering with one of our recent acquisitions. First, at Queen's Health System, nearly 60% of their emergency department visits or from a patient population suffering from homelessness. In many of those instances, those patients would have received better care for their specific needs outside of the emergency department at materially lower expense. In response, Queen's leveraged our software, including our DOS data platform, along with our analytics applications, to develop a robust and targeted care management program, enabling data-informed care navigation to better serve this unique patient population. This care management improvement work allowed Queens to realize the avoidance of more than 16 million in costs, the result of reduced emergency department utilization, length of stay and readmissions. Next, ChristianaCare Health System was experiencing operational strain imposed by the COVID-19 pandemic and therefore sought a data-informed approach to accurately identify patients within its populations most at risk for severe illness or hospitalization from COVID-19. Leveraging our DOS data platform and our newly released healthcare.ai technology solution, ChristianaCare enhanced its care management program by effectively implementing predictive analytics to assign a risk score to each patient and prioritize targeted outreach and interventions to the highest risk patients. This work allowed ChristianaCare to meaningfully reduce hospital and intensive care unit admissions, resulting in savings of 1.8 million. Lastly, MultiCare Health System, experiencing significant growth along with changing payer reimbursement and billing guidelines, leveraged our solution, including our DOS platform and Vitalware's Vital Integrity application. Our software enabled multi-care to access timely and actionable insights, leading to improved revenue cycle performance, optimized charge capture processes, and reduced losses. In just three months, multi-care identified and resolved more than 350 charge capture issues, retaining more than $6 million in net revenue. The organization also identified $36.6 million in additional annual gross revenue at risk of not obtaining optimal reimbursement, providing multi-care the opportunity to intervene. Our next strategic objective category is growth, which includes beginning new customer relationships while also expanding existing customer relationships. To begin, our current operating environment is largely consistent with with commentary that we shared on our last two earnings calls. The COVID-19 pandemic continues to result in both headwinds and tailwinds as it relates to our growth. And as such, we are reiterating the 2021 bookings expectations that we shared on our previous earnings calls. In terms of headwinds, we anticipate our provider end market will continue to be under some amount of operational and financial strain over the coming months, as healthcare organizations deal with the continued COVID-19 surge, especially given the rise in the Delta variant, alongside vaccine rollout logistics. As it relates to tailwinds, we continue to see meaningful evidence that the healthcare provider ecosystem is much better equipped and prepared to respond to the ongoing pandemic in areas including treatment efficacy, supply chain logistics, capacity planning, and broader operational optimization. And lastly, we continue to believe that the COVID pandemic will serve as an overall tailwind in the industry's adoption of data and analytics, significantly highlighting the need for a commercial-grade data and analytics solution to replace patchwork homegrown systems. In terms of focal areas for current and prospective customers, the highest demand areas include software to enable population health efforts, as well as revenue and cost optimization analytics. As such, in addition to our recent Twistle acquisition, we are also encouraged to see the relevance and robustness of recently released additions to our population health and financial improvement solution suites, which I'll describe next. First, we recently introduced our value optimizer analytics application. Value Optimizer is an enhancement to our existing Population Health Foundation's analytics application suite, focused on identifying the most significant opportunities for value-based care performance improvement. As healthcare organizations further focus on their population health initiatives and enter into a greater number of risk-based contracts, our Value Optimizer product allows for a comprehensive, quantified view of potential financial improvement opportunities, and it provides continually refreshed data and benchmarking, along with transparent risk and benchmarking methodologies. Next, I would like to highlight our recent introduction of Power Labor, a new internally developed analytics application within our financial improvement solution suite. Our Power Labor solution is focused on addressing a CFO's need for cost optimization within his or her largest operating expense line item, item, labor, which accounts for nearly 60% of hospital costs. Built on top of our DOS data platform, Power Labor allows healthcare decision makers to accurately predict labor needs, plan for changes in staffing, and optimize staff to patient ratios. Leveraging data from disparate sources, Power Labor enables optimization of labor resources improvement of operations, and ultimately reduced overall labor spend. We anticipate that the introduction of these software solutions will further solidify our ability to capitalize on some of the highest demand areas within our end market. Also in the context of our growth efforts, let me next mention that we are looking forward to hosting our eighth annual Healthcare Analytics Summit in September. While the format will be virtual again this year, we continue to believe that this conference represents a meaningful opportunity for health Catalyst to continue to provide thought leadership within the healthcare data and analytics ecosystem while carefully listening to our customers and prospects as we further cultivate and deepen those relationships. The theme of this year's conference will be multi-domain analytics. And we are fortunate to feature many of the leading voices in the country as our keynote speakers. As a reference, last year's summit attracted thousands of registrants from more than 750 healthcare organizations across the world. Lastly, I would like to make a few comments on a recent acquisition of Twistle, which we are happy to announce officially closed on July 1st, 2021. As a reminder, Twistle is a leading patient engagement software solution that automates personalized communication between care teams and patients leveraging rich clinical content, we anticipate Twistle will meaningfully bolster our population health and analytics application suite as healthcare organizations increasingly look for a comprehensive population health solution. This is particularly important as healthcare organizations begin to normalize operations outside of COVID-19, with many reprioritizing their transition to value-based care models and optimizing care delivery in virtual settings. The Twistle technology also has applicability in the clinical and quality improvement space through established clinical pathways and patient communication channels, as well as in the life sciences market. We are thrilled to welcome our highly talented Twistle teammates to Health Catalyst, further enabling our mission to be the catalyst for massive, measurable, data-informed healthcare improvement. Likewise, looking out over the next few quarters, we continue to be encouraged by a high quality acquisition pipeline. With that, let me turn the
3: call over to Brian. Brian. Thank you, Dan. Before diving into our quarterly financial results, I want to echo Dan's sentiment and say that I am pleased with our second quarter 2021 results. I will now comment on our strategic objective category of scale. For the second quarter of 2021, we generated 59.6 million in total revenue. This represents an increase of 38% year-over-year and was an outperformance relative to the midpoint of our guidance. This outperformance was driven mainly by new contracts signing earlier in the quarter than forecasted, along with a modest amount of unforecasted, non-recurring professional services revenue. Technology revenue for Q2 2021 was 35.5 million, representing 39% growth year-over-year. This year-over-year growth was driven primarily by recurring revenue from new customer additions, from existing customers paying higher technology access fees as a result of contractual built-in escalators, and from our Vitalware acquisition that closed September 1st, 2020 professional services revenue for Q2 2021 was 24.1 million, representing 36% growth relative to the same period last year. This year over year performance is primarily due to our professional services being provided to new DOS subscription customers, COVID-19 related temporary credits we offered to a subset of our customers in Q2 2020 that did not recur this period, and a modest amount of non-recurring professional services revenue recognized in Q2 2021, partially offset by lower professional services dollar-based retention achieved in 2020 relative to historical performance as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Total adjusted gross margin for the second quarter 2021 was 54.4%, representing an increase of approximately 530 basis points year-over-year. In the technology segment, our Q2 2021 adjusted technology gross margin was 68.3%, a decrease of approximately 35 basis points relative to the same period last year. This year-over-year performance was mainly driven by existing customers paying higher technology access fees from contractual built-in escalators without a commensurate increase in hosting costs, offset by headwinds due to the continued costs associated with transitioning a portion of our customer base to third-party cloud-hosted data centers in Microsoft Azure, which increases our hosting costs. In the professional services segment, our Q2 2021 adjusted professional services gross margin was 33.9% representing an increase of approximately 1,290 basis points year-over-year, and an increase of approximately 240 basis points relative to Q1 2021. Our year-over-year performance was mainly the result of some shift in the mix of professional services delivered, a higher utilization rate than forecasted, COVID-19 related temporary credits we offered to a subset of our customers in Q2 2020, and a modest amount of non-recurring professional services revenue recognized in Q2 2021. In Q2 2021, adjusted total operating expenses were 30.8 million. As a percentage of revenue, adjusted total operating expenses were 52%, which compares favorably to 59% in Q2 2020. Adjusted EBITDA in Q2 2021 was 1.7 million, exceeding the midpoint of our guidance and comparing favorably to an adjusted EBITDA loss of 4.2 million in the second quarter of 2020. This Q2 adjusted EBITDA result was mainly driven by the strong revenue and gross margin performance mentioned previously. Additionally, it was partially driven by the timing of some non-headcount expenses that we anticipate will be pushed out into subsequent quarters in 2021. Slower travel expense ramp than forecasted and moderately slower hiring than anticipated. Our adjusted net loss per share in Q2 2021 was approximately zero cents. The weighted average number of shares used in calculating adjusted net loss per share in Q2 was approximately 44.9 million shares. Turning to the balance sheet, we ended the second quarter of 2021 with $263 million of cash, cash equivalents, and short-term investments, compared to $271 million at year-end 2020. As a reminder, in April 2020, we issued a private placement of convertible notes with a principal amount of $230 million, and we used a portion of the proceeds to extinguish an outstanding term loan. After deducting the unamortized debt discount related to the conversion feature of 50.9 million and unamortized issuance costs of 4.3 million, as of June 30th, 2021, the net carrying amount of the liability components of the convertible notes is 174.8 million. Also as a reminder, we closed the acquisition of Twistle on July 1st, 2021 Which included a cash component for the purchase price of approximately 57.5 million, resulting in pro forma cash, cash equivalents, and short-term investments balance of approximately 205 million. As it relates to our financial guidance for the third quarter of 2021, we expect total revenue between 59.4 million and 62.4 million and adjusted EBITDA losses between negative 7.5 million and negative 5.5 million. For the full year 2021, we are raising our full year outlook. We expect total revenue between 236.7 million and 239.7 million. At their respective midpoints, this represents an increase of 8.6 million compared to the full year revenue guidance we provided last quarter. We also expect adjusted EBITDA losses between negative 12.5 million and negative 10.5 million. At their respective midpoints, this represents an improvement of 2.5 million compared to the full year guidance we provided last quarter. Lastly, I will provide a few additional details related to our second half 2021 guidance. First, as it relates to Twistle's financial impact in the second half of 2021, we anticipate revenue contribution of approximately 3 million, primarily in the technology segment, inclusive of a purchase accounting related deferred revenue write down, along with approximately 3 million in adjusted EBITDA loss contribution. Next, as it relates to our professional services revenue, we anticipate Q3 and Q4 professional services revenue will be slightly down relative to Q2 2021, driven by lower forecasted non-recurring revenue. Additionally, I would mention that we anticipate our adjusted professional services gross margin percentage will be in the mid-20s for the second half of 2021, driven by our forecasted mix of services utilized, our anticipated utilization rates And lower non-recurring revenue than in the first half of 2021. Lastly, as implied by our guidance, we anticipate our adjusted EBITDA quarterly performance to be meaningfully lower in the second half of 2021 relative to the first half, driven by multiple factors, including the Twistle contribution of an approximately three million adjusted EBITDA loss, higher sales and marketing expenses of over three million mostly driven by our Healthcare analytics Summit and our HIMSS conference participation in Q3, the lower professional services gross margin forecast mentioned previously, additional ramp and forecasted travel expenses, the seasonality and some of our other non-headcount expenses mentioned previously, and the one-time acquisition-related integration expenses that we described in our Q4 2020 earnings call. And as an additional note, excluding our Twistle acquisition, our updated full year 2021 adjusted EBITDA guidance represents a meaningful improvement from our previous full year 2021 guidance by approximately 5.5 million. With that, I will conclude my prepared remarks. Dan?
2: Thanks, Brian. In conclusion, as I always do, I would like to thank our highly engaged team members. Without their consistent contributions to our mission and growth, none of this would be possible. And with that, I'll turn the call back to the operator for
0: questions. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. If you do have a question, press star than one on your touch phone phone. If you wish to be removed from the queue, please press the pound sign or the hash key. If you're using a speakerphone, you may need to pick up the handset first before pressing the numbers. Once again, if you have a question, press star than 1 on your touchstone phone. And our first question is from Annie Samuels from J.P. Morgan.
4: Hi, guys. Uh, thanks for taking the question. Um, you know, we've been hearing a lot about improving hospital utilization this quarter, and was wondering if maybe you could speak to how that's impacting the demand environment um, and if that's driving any incremental conversations for you.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for the question, Annie. We are seeing uh, also within our client community a focus on increasing hospital u- utilization, and and that uh, broadly fits often within the financial uh, application suite category of the work that we do on the technology side, uh, as well as uh, the services that we provide in helping uh, these health systems really get to get back towards pre- pandemic levels of, of utilization, and we have seen meaningful progress there that has uh, directly contributed to the to the financial performance improvement that that
3: many of our clients are experiencing.
2: Ryan, anything you'd add?
3: No, I, I think that's right, Dan, and, and just to add to that, Annie, um, one other dynamic that we, we do want to be cognizant of in our monitoring is we are seeing a little bit of that increase in COVID-related case counts as well. In our hospital system and market, um, with the rise of the Delta variant, so that's also a dynamic that's creating a little bit more of that uncertainty as well in the market, um, in addition to the increase in utilization. So, we'll continue to monitor that situation as well.
4: Great, very helpful, color. Thank you.
3: Thank next you. question from
0: Ryan Daniels from William Blair.
5: Yeah, guys, congrats on the quarter, and thank you for taking the questions. Dan, maybe a big picture one for you. You mentioned in your prepared comments you're seeing more of an acceleration to value-based care and I guess that's natural given the pandemic and pressures we saw on fee-for-service as well as kind of the government and payer push to move to value-based care. So I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about how that's changing your longer-term investment philosophy. Obviously it's led to some recent M&A activity to bolster your offering, but how it's changing your investment philosophy for M&A and internal investments and also maybe how that's changing your sales or go-to-market approach with clients. Thank you.
2: Uh, thanks for that question, Ryan. We are seeing a meaningful uptick, as we have mentioned in, uh, in last quarter's earnings uh, conference call, in the population health areas. And that is informing the way that we think about our own portfolio, our own investments, uh, both from an R&D perspective as well as from an M&A perspective. The recent acquisition of Twistle, is a good example of this, where patient engagement is such an important component of care management and of population health. We wanted to make sure we had a really robust industry-leading uh, component to our population health solution suite. Uh, we also mentioned in our last earnings conference call that, that as it relates to our pipeline, one of the most active areas uh, in, in our conversations is in the population health category. And so we're paying attention to uh, what is most needed. Uh, it does make sense for your comments, Ryan, that, that there's been a meaningful shift in focus here. And uh, we have consistently been investing from an R&D uh, perspective as well as evidenced in the, the recent announcement of our value optimizer uh, application within that Pop health application suite. And we anticipate continuing both from an R&D perspective to meaningfully invest in this suite as well as to keep our eyes open from an M&A perspective.
3: Brian, anything you'd add? Yeah, to add to that, thanks, Ryan, for the question. In terms of the the go-to-market kind of approach and strategy, so one of the um, uh, earlier phases of the um, post-TWISL integration work will be uh, integrating from a a sales and marketing and a messaging standpoint um, going forward such that we're able to as Dan mentioned, provide that comprehensive sales message and solution um, in conversations going forward. So that is something that we're focused on in the second half of the year from an integration standpoint. And then obviously the further integration in terms of the technology will roll out a little bit more over time.
5: Okay. That's that's helpful. And then in regards to the margin performance, congrats on hitting adjusted EBITDA break even. Just trying to dig a little bit into the Sequential decline, I appreciate some of it the conference and travel, hymns, you know, higher operating expenses for delayed hiring. The one I'm trying to get a better handle on is just the services revenue line. How much of the, the business was kind of unexpected one time um, during the quarter that won't repeat just so we can calibrate our models, right?
3: Definitely, yep. So, so you could think about that in Q2 of approximately a million and a half of incremental um, unanticipated professional services revenue. Um, that's more non-recurring in nature. So we do expect that to roll off um, going forward, uh, but we'll still have some growth more on the recurring side for professional services in the back half of the year.
5: Okay, perfect. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great time. Thank
3: you.
0: Our next question is from Sean Mellon from Piper Sandler.
6: Hi, thanks so much. Um, I may have just uh, misheard you. Did you say nine and a half million or a million and a half
3: in non-recurring
6: professional services?
3: Sorry, yeah, good clarification. One point five million. One point five.
6: Good
7: to know. Yeah. Thank you. And
6: so uh, to follow up then on on, on Ryan's line of question, what's the nature of this non-recurring professional services? Was it a single client? Was it something across the in uh, the industry? And um, you had some nice operating leverage with that extra million and a half um, of services revenue. Um, so why would why would that non-recurring uh, professional services carry a higher margin?
2: Yeah, sure. So we uh, we see more of the non-recurring services falling into a project-based um, uh, relationship uh, on a specific area of focus, and we have multiple clients that have that have engaged our professional services teams more in that project-based engagement. And that's uh, that's what we've seen uh, making up the majority of the the non-recurring services revenue. And we try to be responsive to clients as they're facing a specific problem that that sometimes a uh, Mm project-based services model is a better solution where it's a finite period of time uh, and it's a focused effort. Those, as you might imagine, are a little bit harder to forecast uh, and and so uh, we try to have enough of a bench in place from a professional services perspective to to be responsive to those needs,
3: uh, but that is something that is a little bit more difficult to forecast. Brian, anything you'd add? Yep, and to your point, Sean, on the operating leverage and kind of margin profile of those, so, so we did uh, mention that we were a little bit slower in our hiring in the quarter and in the first half, and so that means is that our to Dan's point, on the, the bench and the utilization rate of our team members was a little bit higher than than what would be ideal. And so that's what's driving some of that gross margin outperformance. And we do expect to be able to catch up a little bit on the hiring front and uh, kind of points to the commentary in the back half of the year around uh, that lower professional services gross margin going forward. Uh,
6: that's helpful. Thank you. And then uh, one more, if I could. Um, the, the whole opportunity around uh, price transparency – um, you know, you bought Vitalware about a year ago. Um, are you seeing are are any of your customers actually taking this seriously? And are they uh, um, are they looking at at, uh, at addressing that regulation?
2: Yes, thank you for asking that, Sean. Uh, with the recent increase in the penalties, a meaningful increase in the penalties as it relates to price transparency, we we view all of our health system clients as taking this seriously. And uh, as we've discussed in prior quarters. Uh, the ability to, uh, to, to be compliant uh, with guidelines that need further clarification. And we're all anxious. I think the entire industry is anxious to hear the updated uh, CMS guidelines that are coming out in, in another week or so uh, to better understand exactly uh, what is needed to be compliant is something that we're focused on. It certainly uh, is increasing the demand for solutions like our solution, it also is increasing the, you know, the consequences of noncompliance, and so we're also trying to be really sensitive to make sure uh, we're investing in understanding guidelines that haven't always been crystal clear and are difficult to implement, difficult to track, uh, very complex uh, to to comply with. But but our goal is to be you know on the on the front end, on the on the high end of of compliance for the industry, though it is a, it's a really difficult, um, complicated issue to, uh, uh, to manage.
6: That's great. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Sean. Our next question is from Elizabeth Ann Anderson from Evercore.
8: <laughs> Hi, hey guys. Um, what my first question is and the population health. Thank you for talking about the the broader capabilities. Are um, there any area additional areas that you feel like you want to sort of bulk up now, or do you feel like you have kind of the broad perspective and sort of offerings there that you need?
2: Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, I think we're we're pleased to see you know the breadth of our offering. Meaningfully increasing both in terms of the M&A of, of Twistle, adding really meaningful patient engagement capabilities, as well as the, the recent product release of Value Optimizer. Uh, and one of the differentiation elements that Health Catalyst has is our breadth of offering. There are a number of other options out there that, that have real depth in one specific area of population health, but few that have the breadth that Health Catalyst can offer. And so we are focused on the broad population health uh, ecosystem, and we're pleased with where we are, but we do see other opportunities to keep broadening uh, that portfolio that we can bring, the solution set that we can address, uh, and and feel that that's important, given that that's one of our key differentiators.
8: Okay, that's really helpful. Um, and is there anything you could comment about the pacing of staff comp in the back half of the year versus the first half?
3: Yep. Thanks, Elizabeth. So um, we mentioned on our prior earnings call uh, the uptick that we expected for Q2 in stock-based comp. Um, part of that is related to some revested acquisition consideration that flows through that line item and will roll off uh, through 2021. But a good way to think about it generally is that we'd expect uh, excluding that stock-based comp to look pretty similar through the back half of 2021 is what you see in Q2. O- over the long term, we do anticipate um, continuing to, t- to drive operating leverage in that expense item over time.
8: Got it. Okay, thank you. Thank you.
0: Our next question is from Stephanie Davis from SVB.
8: Hey, guys. guys I'm the McCorder, and thank you for taking my question, as always.
3: Hi, Stephanie.
8: We've uh, we've heard a lot about your competitiveness against the other analytics players. But I was actually hoping to hear about your competitive dynamics on the other side of the world where you guys are an acquirer. Just because MA is becoming a bigger part of your model, as you mentioned the paired marks, how do you differentiate yourself versus the other potential acquirers in the data analytics universe? And what sort of annual integration capacity do you have within the model?
2: Yeah, great question, Stephanie. So I want to first acknowledge this is a very competitive environment from an M&A perspective. Uh, We're certainly seeing valuation multiples that are higher this year than they were last year. And so one of the elements that we focus on is making sure we have a strong balance sheet always and the right capital structure so that uh, we can be competitive uh, from a financial perspective. So that's certainly one element that we'll always be paying attention to. I think another element that has served us well from a differentiation perspective, including recently, is the fact that Health Catalyst is the best place to work. And often, uh, given the recognition of the company over 60 times as best place to work, the team members at these various companies are hoping that Health Catalyst is successful. And and I think also the fact that Health Catalyst really takes care of customers and has among the highest uh, customer satisfaction of the industry is another reason why we tend towards being successful, as long as we're competitive from a financial perspective. And so we're going to keep that focus uh, as it relates to our team members. And the proof is always in the pudding. And so that relates to your last question about our integration capacity. There are no shortcuts as it relates to team member integration and, and team member engagement. That includes the team members that come to us from uh, from these acquisitions, we need to make sure we're taking care, we're, we know each of these team members, we're listening to them, we're ensuring that the integration is really positive. And there is a ceiling to what uh, we can do at a world-class level in terms of that integration. So we're mindful of that. I think our our experience as a publicly traded company these last two years are a good example of us trying to pace ourselves from a balanced perspective and not get to that ceiling of, of being able to, to perform integration really effectively, and you know, since we've gone public, we've we've had four acquisitions uh, as a company uh, over the last two years, and we think that pace has been sustainable. It's been it's been a meaningful amount of work, but it's been sustainable, and we do see Help Catalyst long-term as a consolidator, especially at the apps layer, um, with meaningful you know hundreds of meaningful. Opportunities and, and companies, most of whom are, are startups that, that aren't likely to make it long-term as independent companies but would be a really nice addition to Health Catalyst's breadth of portfolio, that tends to be a differentiator for us. And, and likewise, in adjacent markets, we continue to, to want to, to pay attention uh, in life sciences internationally to M&A opportunities, uh, all within the construct of, of trying to be world-class in that regard, including the integration uh,
1: experience.
8: So with that in mind, as you are kind of more the acquirer of choice, what areas would you look at as either too much of a reach on time or cost to develop in-house where you might want to really accelerate your m strategy?
2: Yes. So we, we continue to look at the apps layer, uh, you know, the middle section of the three components of our solution as the most promising area. Uh, That's a broad to, space,
8: right?
2: It's a broad space, yes. <laughs> and, and so more specifically, as was mentioned just a, a few minutes ago, we we see population health uh, as a very important area to our clients. And so we're, we're paying attention, uh, continuing to pay attention in the pop health space. Also, the, the CFO value proposition, so the revenue and cost uh, analytics space uh, continues to be really important as as per the utilization question earlier. So that's an, a second area that we pay attention to. And then those adjacent markets that we've discussed many times before, life sciences uh, is an interesting area for us as well as international.
8: Super helpful. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Stephanie. Our next question is from Richard Cloth from Anacor Genuity.
5: Great. Thanks for the questions.
4: Congratulations on the quarter. Um, I was wondering if you could go over the gross margin uh, commentary again. I think you said something about some headwinds associated with transition into the cloud. Uh, Can you just go over the details of that? And where are you in that process? um, And what happens when you're done uh, from a margin
3: perspective? Yeah, certainly. So um, as backdrop for that, on the technology gross margin side, uh, given the nature of our technology um, solution, which starts with a data platform where we begin with kind of ingesting the bulk of the data needs for a customer kind of from the start of the relationship. And then over time, as that relationship grows on the technology side through our expansion mechanisms, what we typically see is on a per-customer or cohort basis, we see technology expansion over time, typically as that grows, and that the, the revenue base does not grow you know, commensurate with the, the hosting cost and support increase. Um, that's what we expect long-term and kind of ties into our long-term technology gross margin um, targets as well. However, to offset that in the short-term, as you mentioned, we do have a bit of a headwind which is uh, we we still have a handful of customers who were transitioning from on-premise deployments to cloud-based deployments, and so that increases our hosting costs for those customers, and kind of offsets offsets that natural um, gross margin expansion over time. So, uh, we shared um, on a prior earnings call that we uh, we did expect that to continue that transition to continue through uh, 2022, and then at that point we'd expect to see um, that more natural technology gross margin expansion um, on an annual basis. Okay, thank you. Thank you.
0: And our next question is from Don Rans- from Raymond James.
7: Hi, I just wanted to get your math on, if we look at your revised uh, full year 21 guidance, um, how will we think about, you know, the organic growth versus what you have brought in for everything?
3: Yep. So in terms of the um, organic growth, we provided um, some commentary uh, earlier in the year as it relates to the Vitalware contribution of revenue for 2021, um, and that was in the low 20 millions of revenue for the year. And then um, on, on this call, in terms of the Twistle. Contribution to revenue. Um, we mentioned approximately three million of revenue contribution in the second half of the year. So, um, so hopefully that helps John in terms of the components that you can think about um, as compared to our to our core business, excluding those two items.
7: Was there anything that wrapped around from last year that we're not thinking about?
3: I think those two would be the main items. Yeah, Vitalware and then the Twistle contribution.
1: And you know,
7: when you are looking, uh, I mean, the, the great tech companies, as you know, are all built on a common backbone, uh, and the ones that just cobble together a bunch of stuff tend to fail. So when when you when you go out and buy one of these point solutions and you integrate it into your backbone, um, what's the what's kind of the heavy lifting behind the scenes to make sure all the technology runs on on a single uh, engine?
2: Yeah, it's an important question. Thank you for bringing it up, John. And it's one of the reasons why our M&A is actually not focused at the platform layer, but that backbone, uh, the data platform, is something that we have prioritized building ourselves for precisely the reasons that you outlined uh, from an architectural perspective. So we agree with that assessment. Uh, what we want to make sure the platform is good at is uh, is feeding data up, up to the apps layer, and at the apps layer, the technology integration lift is much lighter uh, between platform and, and apps. And you can operate different app categories fairly independently from one another. We still want a, a common look and feel and other common elements from an architectural security perspective, et cetera. Uh, but there's more flexibility at the apps layer. And that's why we focused our M&A at that layer and, and not elsewhere.
7: That makes- Um, And, you know, I think you said uh, earlier that, you know, your hospital clients in the U.S. are building out their budgets in the fall for next year. Uh, Are you getting any early signals at all that uh, things might be improving for their, you know, capital spend in 2022?
2: Yeah, so we're we're monitoring that situation uh, as we mentioned in our prepared remarks. We're seeing uh, a pipeline set of behaviors that that does continue to feel, as we've as we've shared uh, in prior calls as well, uh, more like those pre-pandemic pipeline dynamics and, and levels. Uh, that seems to be the result of both headwinds and tailwinds that are associated with with COVID-19 that there are still some headwinds. And I I do wanna note that we are monitoring the Delta variant carefully, and it is difficult to predict exactly how that will play out. We're continuing to support our health system clients and focusing a great deal on on persuading as many individuals as possible to get fully vaccinated as the data is overwhelmingly positive as it relates to the protective benefits of, of vaccination. But but it is hard to predict how the Delta variant will play out. And and there still are some other related um, distraction factors, as it even still relates to the continuation of the vaccination rollout logistics, for example. But there are also tailwinds where we are seeing, uh, because the percentage of of Americans, for example, that are at least partially or, or also fully vaccinated is growing and is a meaningful percentage of the total population, uh, this wave thus far has not been as serious as prior waves, uh, prior recent waves in terms of uh, the hospitalization rates that were required uh, to respond to COVID. And so we're seeing tailwinds in the recognition of the importance of robust data and analytics, tailwinds as it relates to um, the opportunity for a little bit more sense of normalcy in capital planning and budgeting. But uh, it is a dynamic environment and delta the Delta variant is hard to predict, so we're we're monitoring the situation as it unfolds.
7: I, I guess my, this is a hard question to answer, but, you know, we all look at the public hospital chains and they're just doing great. Big stocks are hitting all-time highs, or EBITDA is setting uh, new records. Um, is there any way for you to, like, your sort of qualitative assessment with your not-for-profit clients, are they, are, you know, are the higher-end systems doing as well in real time as far as you can tell in some of the public hospital chains or are the not-for-profits for various reasons maybe lagging a little bit in terms of their operating performance?
2: We have seen a meaningful improvement uh, relative to last year, certainly, as you would expect in terms of the financial performance of, of our not-for-profit health systems. And we serve some uh, for-profit uh, hospitals as well. And so we, we have definitely seen improvement. I think it depends on the area of the country where there are some hot spots where in areas uh, where the, the vaccination rate is much lower, uh, there's a much more significant hospital uh, hospitalization rate, hospital utilization rate, specifically focused on COVID. And that, that is an issue for some of our health system clients in, in the South and in other specific areas where, where those hot spots uh, are emerging. And so it depends. On, on which part of the country, but generally speaking absolutely uh, there has been improvement certainly since last year and 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 that could continue, uh, but it is hard to predict uh, exactly how the delta variant will play out.
7: All right, thanks so much.
0: Thank you. Thank you our next question is from David Grossman from People.
4: Uh, good afternoon, thank you. Um, you know, Dan, I thought I heard you reiterate your bookings target for the year. And if if I heard that right, you know, given how important the second quarter is to achieving that number, you know, perhaps you could give us some at least qualitative context on, you know, what you saw in terms of two Q bookings, and and maybe in the same breath, you could talk a little bit about. The service attach rates and how they're trending on some of the newer deals
2: Yes, absolutely, David. Uh, thank you for the question. so we we have uh, We have been encouraged by the financial performance of the company in the first half of the year in, in Q one and Q two uh, to see you know, meaningful pipeline activity, meaningful bookings activity um, and and as we continue forward, uh, that has increased uh, the confidence level that, that the management team feels in reiterating that that booking, bookings guidance for the full year. Uh, however, it's important also to, to recognize that there is seasonality to our business and that there is um, some difficulty associated with um, COVID still being here, the Delta variant still being a factor that's hard to fully predict and forecast that, that clouds our view uh, to some degree. As I mentioned just a, a few minutes ago, we do see some meaningful causes for optimism from a tailwinds perspective, but we also are experiencing some headwinds. And so uh, all of those elements are, are, uh, are factoring in as of what we know right now to a sense that on balance we feel comfortable with where we are. Um, in in being in tracking towards those full year guidance uh, comments that we've made previously.
3: Yeah, and, and to add to that, David, I would, I would just point out some of the areas uh, that Dan mentioned in the remarks in terms of focus areas are certainly applicable in the first half of the year. So population health, um, revenue and cost optimization, where we feel like we're well suited uh, for those solutions and. And, and including on, on some of our uh, recent acquisitions, um, seeing a little bit of early success in terms of uh, cross-sell, uh, in particular as it relates to um, apps uh, to DOS customers, which is a, a lower price point, a slightly shorter sales cycle. Um, so so encouraging, encouraging signs there as well, um, and in line with um, kind of the commentary that we expected at the beginning of the year where we we did foresee some moderate amount of contribution um, from that front as well.
4: And in any sense for the um, attach rates on the service business and how they're trending on your newer pieces of business, more in line with what you've seen historically or more in line with what you saw you know, during the pandemic years, or the pandemic quarters, I'm sorry.
2: Yes, uh, I would say they feel more like pre-pandemic uh, experiences with one note that that as as we mentioned in our uh, prepared remarks uh, we did see incrementally more uh, services as it relates to the non-recurring project-based uh, engagements than than we had forecasted and so we're we're watching uh, that dynamic uh, in the future and that that is a little bit harder to predict um, but that was one dynamic that. Uh, came in a, a little bit stronger than what we had forecasted.
4: Right. And if you don't mind, could I just squeeze in one more? If, if I understood your guidance right, it, it, it looks like revenues are going to be flattish, 3Q and 4Q, um, to, to, am I getting that right? And if I am, you know, is, is that the professional services piece that's driving that, or is there something else going on?
3: Thanks, yep. Um, So in terms of the sequential dynamic for Q3, Q4, uh, maybe I'll comment in terms of the the segment. So we do expect um, technology revenue to to uptick on a quarterly basis, including excluding the Twistle contribution, which would be incremental in Q3, Q4. Um, You can think about technology sequentially growing at a a few percentage points, excluding the the Twistle contribution. On the professional services side, um, you could think about that in Q3 as uh, being impacted by that 1.5 million roll-off of the non-recurring services, uh, with some modest growth in terms of just the underlying recurring services. So, uh, I think it's fair to think about um, sequential growth in both in both Q3 and Q4. Got it. Great. Thanks very much, David.
0: Our next question is from Daniel Grossley from City.
9: Hi, guys. Thanks for taking the question. I'll add my congrats on the uh, the strong quarter here. Um, I'd like to stick with the cross-sell uh, opportunity that you just mentioned. So it's my understanding when an existing DOS client adopts the uh, applications that you've recently acquired, that results in an upsell charge, even for the all-inclusive DOS clients. So you get kind of an organic and inorganic benefit from those acquisitions at the app later layer. Uh, can you help dimensionalize the number of existing DOS clients that have purchased the acquired apps, and how we should think about that flowing through to tech dollar-based retention this year, given the strength you've seen in in both RCM and Popout. Yes,
2: yeah, certainly. I'll share a few thoughts, and then Brian, please uh, add to them as well. So we, as Brian mentioned, we are encouraged to see some early signs of of uh, of, of a few examples of, of clients that are DOS subscription clients that have. Uh, that have chosen to adopt some new applications that came to us through m a so we do have we have multiple examples of that now that where that has happened and and uh, I would validate the way you described uh, the default position that we would have would be that would be an incremental revenue opportunity from a technology revenue perspective it isn't always the way that it plays out we can always choose. Uh, to do something else, but that is the default position, that it does represent incremental uh, technology revenue. So we're excited about that. And and the cross-sell, as Brian mentioned, uh, a DOS client adopting a new app is a lower price point. It's, it's a little bit easier from a cross-sell perspective than the other direction, where you take someone who's only uh, a customer through the use of one app that we've, you know, that, through a company that we've acquired, the DOS value proposition takes longer and it's a much larger price point. So that, that takes a while longer. We're working on light versions of DOS as we've described in prior earnings calls and, and we see some encouraging signs in our pipeline, but that's typically going to take longer, uh, to play out. But we do, uh, we did forecast a modest amount of cross-sell success, uh, into our 2021 forecast, uh, and, and so we are, assuming and forecasting that there will be uh, some contribution uh, that results uh, from cross-sell I- into that tech dollar-based uh, retention overall uh, for 2021.
3: What would you add, Brian? Yeah, and just to quantify that a little bit more, Daniel, so in terms of uh, the technology dollar-based retention rate color that we provided for 2021, we had shared that we expected that to be um, robust, in line with historical performance of that 107 to 109 percent, and you could think about the the cross sell um, contribution there included as a as a point or so uh, of that of that metric.
9: Okay, so you're still thinking of tech database retention in that same historical range.
3: That's right. Yeah, and then if we were to drive, you know, significant uh, cross selling. Um, that could be some upside, but but currently uh, in line with our bookings expectations for the year. Okay.
9: Um, and you know, you made a comment on the life sciences front. I think it's one of the more underappreciated opportunities for you guys. I was wondering if you can just dig in a little more on on what um, specifically in life sciences um, you're you're getting the most interest in uh, interest in, and you know, if that's a a buy or or build opportunity
2: yeah thank you for asking. So we still very much view daniel our our presence in life sciences is very early, and that this is a long term opportunity for health catalysts, but that it will take many years to play out so that's probably the first important uh, objective uh, response there and we have to date uh, been investing you know organically as a company and building out some capabilities and you know the specific use cases that that we have seen interest in includes, you know, the ability to build out registries. Given our our core market work with you know hundreds of health systems that that provide uh, care for over 100 million patients, and often because of the work that we do around clinical and quality improvement, it's a very clinically rich data set. And so, in the case of COVID, for example. And wanting to understand and study COVID, our ability to, to build registries around specific use cases or populations that were impacted by COVID uh, was positive. And, and uh, other opportunities to build out registries that could be relevant in clinical trial recruitment uh, are areas where we feel like long-term, there's an opportunity for us. and So we'll continue to invest um, organically as a company, and as we've mentioned multiple times, we also include in our pipeline of M&A opportunities, uh, adjacent market opportunities in the life sciences space as well.
3: And, and just to add to that, to that point on uh, kind of inorganic um, opportunity there, uh, just to call out that with the Twistle acquisition, uh, we did mention as part of that announcement, that they they do have a a small presence in the life sciences space, um, relevant in terms of uh, tracking medication adherence and medical device adherence and the like. And so that's also something, as Dan mentioned, that we'll continue to think through uh, over the long term how that that contribution might factor into our life sciences strategy. And one other note, long term as we think about the
2: markets uh, where we might find longer term differentiation, I would include real-world evidence as a category where uh, we just have a rich uh, data set and meaningful analytics that can contribute to uh, real-world evidence use cases as well.
9: Got it. Thanks, guys. Thank
0: you. Our next question is from Iris Long from Berenberg.
8: Hi, good afternoon team, thanks for taking my question. Um, so first, a big picture question for Dan. Um, so after the Twistle acquisition, can we get an updated view on your thoughts about the total addressable market? I'm wondering, have you reassessed the TAM internally? And then I'm also curious, how many of uh, Health Catalyst existing customers already have some sort of patient engagement solution? Um, I'm just curious how this patient engagement and population health solution may change your um, view on the long-term TAM.
2: Yeah, thank you for the question, Iris. So at a big picture level, um, we have not updated the TAM uh, for the company, but we do anticipate uh, likely, I think, at the beginning of next year, we're going to take a step back. It will have been, you know, two and a half years since the company went public and, and reassess some of these areas. So for example, when we went public, we had eight application areas where we had a solution. Today we have 12, and the addition of those four have, have come from one uh, product introduction introduction that we built uh, organically, and three uh, of the acquisitions, one of which uh, being the, the recent Twistle acquisition. And each time that occurs, Certainly, the, the total addressable market increases, but we have not yet uh, updated that uh, that overall TAN. And as it relates to uh, our existing customers and their response to Twistle and whether they already had a solution in, in place, um, I would characterize with a couple thoughts. One, uh, we certainly have observed many customers, many health systems, feeling the threat of other new entrants into the space trying to disrupt that direct relationship between uh, the clinician and the patient. Uh, and and so they have been very interested in this space and focused on this space and, and having scalable ways to maintain that relationship is very important uh, to our health system customers. Many of them do not have a solution in place today or they have some kind of patchwork solution that they uh, have developed themselves or there are some players, smaller players that, that offer some form of patient engagement, but we're relatively early uh, in, in uh, the industry adoption of scalable patient engagement capabilities. And we saw that and wanted to make sure that that we found a very scalable solution from a technology perspective that that automates processes that are often manual, uh, so that it, so that they can scale. And and we're excited to to see our the early response of our health system customers and being very interested in this capability.
8: Um, Great. And then a follow-up question to that, um, maybe for Brian. I'm wondering if you can comment on the revenue model for Twistle. Is it a subscription base, maybe by number of modules or service line, and then in terms of the sales cycle and the contract length, what what does that look like? Thank you.
3: Thank you. Um, so the, the contract and sales model is a subscription-based model, so technology subscription to the Twistle software with a small amount of implementation services in terms of total contract value. Um, contract terms uh, are kind of typical with what you'd expect, tend to be, you know, multi-year technology subscriptions. Um, and in terms of uh, – what was your last question? Sorry there, Iris. Um, sales cycle. Sales cycle, yep. In terms of the sales cycle, so, so kind of in line with what you'd expect um, with more of the application um, suite type sales cycle relative to our DOS sales cycle. So it does tend to be uh, shorter than um, our average sales cycle for DOS, which is approximately a year, uh, just given the lower, lower price point and then, and then often selling into a slightly lower level uh, of an organization compared to, to our DOS offer.
8: Great. Thank
3: you.
0: Thank you. And we have no further questions at this time.
2: All right. Thank you, everyone, for your continued interest in health Catalyst, and we look forward to keeping in touch. Take care.
0: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. That concludes today's call. Thank you for participating, and you may now disconnect.